1: Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, uh, all by myself here in a fabulous hotel room in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, where I am currently in the midst of my second week of poker here in the summertime. You gotta love Vegas in the summertime. I don't mind the heat. I like the huge fields. I like playing cards for lots and lots of money. I've been having a ball. Uh, No huge caches thus far. Um, A little bit of success. I will be discussing a few hands that I have played, including one from the tournament that was uh, discussed last week, where if you were able to hear, um, I did make day two of one of the uh, $1,100 venetian tournaments and i want to talk to you guys about how that one ended for me but first before we get to any of my hands or any other thoughts i might have about the summer so far i want to apologize for the sound quality of last week's episode um we did a sound check prior to recording everything sounded great and then for whatever reason the microphone just started picking up the wind Uh, which it did not do when we did our sound check. Uh, And also the equipment that we were using to record that episode. This would have been last week's episode with Mark Aliotto and Derek Tenbush and myself. Uh, That equipment has been used to record podcasts in the past without having those problems. So uh, we do apologize. I think that the uh, powers that be made the decision to release the episode despite the imperfect sound quality rather than leave you guys with nothing at all so uh, if you are among those the many who felt that (laughs) uh, half a podcast is not actually better than no podcast at all uh, as many of you were quite irate with us on Twitter about this um, I would like to hereby personally offer You a full refund of all the money you spent uh, paying for this podcast. Uh, Kidding aside, guys, we do apologize for that, and hopefully this week's episode is loud and clear. So I want to start off tonight by reviewing a hand that I played in the one thousand dollar event number twelve at the World Series of Poker, the Super Turbo Bounty. So it's a $1,000 buy-in, $300 of which goes uh, as a bounty for each player. Um, I was doing great in this tournament, Uh, pretty much from the beginning. I was employing a strategy of betting and over-betting with made hands. The idea being that most of my opponents wouldn't be... Big folders and that with a deep stack with a one thousand dollar buy in, they start you out with twenty thousand in tournament chips, uh, and the blinds only at one hundred two hundred, so I think a lot of players feel like their stacks are deeper than they actually are, so anyway, uh, I was making large bets with big hands in getting paid and not getting sucked out on at all. So within the first hour, I had built it up to about Um, 60,000. It kind of went up and down from there for a while. I had a really good table. I was doing great. And then they moved me to a new table. And the vibe at my new table was a little bit different. And this is one of the big challenges to me in tournament poker is when you have a read on everybody. You've got a feel for where the profits should or should not come from at your table. And then all of a sudden the tournament director comes over and makes you move and start all over. Uh, it's hard for me to be honest, to change gears and slow down at a new table, not want to, uh, announce my presence like Michael, the grinder, Ms. Rocky always seems to do at every table. Um, yeah, I don't think you can really come in, especially in a $1,000 buy-in. I don't think you can really come in and just start, you know, playing the role of table captain. So I was pretty good in this one. I I shut it down for a while. I basically re- reverted back to, you know, just buy the book, hands from group A, hands from group B, and playing solid values. Uh, and that worked out pretty well. Uh, after about an hour, hour and a half at that table, I had around 68,000 in chips and the average stack was around 28,000. So I was doing great. And then this hand came up that I found interesting. Uh, the table itself has been mostly cautious, tight. Um, people seem to be trying to find the right spots to get involved and it seems like most people kind of know what they're doing although I'm not intimidated by anyone in the sense that I feel outclassed or overmatched in any way but it's definitely not a table of amateurs like my first one basically was so they folded to me in the cutoff the blinds were 501,000 again we have 68,000 most of the stacks in our table are in the twenty to 30,000 range. Um, we have everyone at our table covered. I have Queen of Diamonds, 8 of Diamonds, and I opened to 2,500, which had already been established as the standard opening bet at this table, and I think it's a perfectly fine amount. So we put in 2,500, and the button is our only caller. Now, let's talk about him. He's... Uh, Uh, An American of Indian descent, I believe. I heard him mention that he lives in the Chicago area. Um, He did mention that with a very thick Indian accent. So I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, was actually born overseas. Uh, He's about 30 to 33 years old. um, Very uh, loud when he talks. He hasn't been getting too crazy uh, getting involved in a lot of pots. He has a Poker Go sweatshirt on for what it's worth. So I am looking to do a lot of check folding on this flop. He's not the caller I wanted. Uh, I was really attacking the very cautious blinds with this bet. Uh, Queen 8 of diamonds is probably... Not supposed to be in my opening range in the first place, but I had opened up my range a little bit because uh, the blinds in this hand were very tight, and I thought it was a pretty good spot to try to pick them up. That said, when you have a plan like that, and it doesn't pan out the way you wanted, don't feel like you always have to continue on every flop and keep trying to win the pot. It's okay to wave a white flag every now and then. The flop comes. Jack of diamonds, five of diamonds, and four of spades. Jack five, four with two diamonds. And we have the queen eight of diamonds. There are 7,500 in the pot. And our opponent starts the hand with about 35,000 in chips. So he's got about another 33K behind or an SPR of just over four. So... Yeah, as I mentioned, I was looking to check and fold a lot, but I got a really good flop. I mean, you know, picking up a flush draw, there's a lot of ways I could play this. I could check and raise um, because I will have a lot of check folds in my range. You might want to protect those by mixing in some of your flush draws into your check raising range. Um, I could bet fairly big here, although I'm not sure what exactly that would represent. I suppose it would be an overpair. Uh, I decided to go for the down bet. I've been experimenting with this a bit. I've noticed that a lot of the solvers seem to favor these uh, small bets on not-too-scary flops. So I put in 2,000 into the 7,500 pot, and my opponent called. Now, the problem with making this small bet is that when you're called, you don't know whether it was just because your opponent was getting attractive odds or whether he even thinks about the pot odds that your small bet is offering him or whether that call actually means that he's got a piece of the board and if he does have a piece of the board could it be as bad as a pair of fours on jack five four or would he uh you maybe have called on the button with an ace four suited flop a four and then fold to this bet I don't think so I think most players would continue so the problem with making a small bet like this is it doesn't as Dan Harrington would say, define my hand. Uh, I really don't know where I stand against his calling range. He could have a lot of pure floats, for all we know, because we did price him in. Uh, That said, we have plenty of turn cards that we would love to see, uh, either because they give us a pair or a flush, or they just are cards that we can represent on the turn. And I think one of them hits. It's the King of Clubs. So our board is now jack, five, four, king, with still the two original diamonds on the flop. Uh, I think this is a good card for my range. I think that I will open from the cutoff with a lot of kings in my hand and then make a small continuation bet on the flop with those kings and then make a bigger bet on the turn with those kings. So I think that the story I'm telling if I decide to bet again is one that makes sense. It's a feasible, plausible story that we are hoping our opponent will buy and fold whatever piece of this board he hit. So in order to try to help him make that decision, I bet 10,000 into the 11,500 pot. So it's nearly a pot-sized bet and it's quite a serious bet. I am very surprised when my opponent calls this bet as well because now he's put in a total of 14,000 of his 35,000 chips, leaving himself with only 20,000 behind. So we have to try to range him. He could be slow playing a monster, perhaps pocket fives or something along those lines. Uh, he could have a flush draw himself, which it's possible could be worse than ours. Maybe with a hand like eight, six of diamonds. Uh, well, we have the eight of diamonds. So let's say seven, six of diamonds would be a great flop for seven, six of diamonds with, uh, Open ender with the flush draw on Jack 5-4 with two diamonds. Um, he could also have a pair, like a Jack, a 5, or a 4. When he calls, I think we can take the 5s and 4s mostly out of his range. I made a very large bet, and my opponent said that he's got a hand. The river is the 9 of clubs, and... I think our queen high is probably good less than 10% of the time on this run out. So the question is, do we want to put a man to a decision for all of his tournament betting units? Uh, When he called the turn, that put 31,500 chips in the pot after he called. He's only got 20,000 behind. So... He would be getting three, sorry, two and a half to one on a shove, on a call if we shove. Uh, I think that much of his range is one pair, and I don't think that most players would call the shove on the river with one pair. Um, I think the nine is a scare card to some players. Uh, certainly, I could have queen 10 in my range. I like having a queen in my hand if I decide to bluff this card because having a queen makes it less likely that my opponent made the nuts. Uh, King Queen 10, of course, would be the nuts in this spot. So that factored into my decision, and I just... Felt like checking and showing down queen high and losing to a hand like pocket sixes would uh, ruin my life. (laughs) So I just kept going. Once you start bluffing, many times it makes sense to continue bluffing. And especially when it's a bounty event, it's also a turbo structure with 30 minute levels. Um, You need to accumulate. Faster in these events than you do in other events at the World Series. My opponent, from his perspective, if if he has something like Queen-Jack or Jack-10, he can fold and pretty much feel comfortable playing his stack. He's going to have 20 big blinds, so it's not like he's desperate and so pot-committed that he always has to call. So I shoved and he called with very little hesitation with a king nine offsuit. So certainly not a hand that I thought was in his pre-flop calling range and also definitely not a big part of his flop calling range. Even though I only bet 2,000 into 7,500 on the flop of jack five, four with two diamonds, my opponent with a king of spades, nine of hearts, uh, probably shouldn't be continuing very much. Um, yeah. So that was just an unfortunate run out for me. Uh, he said several times that he thought I had made a good play as he was stacking all the chips, you know, you know, people get those chirping chips when they win a pot. Well, yeah, he started chirping right along, telling me how, Uh, If he hadn't made two pair with that river card, he was planning to fold his king if I shoved. Yada, yada, yada. I don't think I could have called you. It's a really good bet. You don't have any showdown value with queen, eight of diamonds. So my opponent made sure to to inform me that he felt that I had played my hand extremely well, Uh, which I'm always suspicious of players who make it such a point to tell you you played great as they stack your chips. Uh, It sometimes makes me feel like I fall into the category of don't tap the glass, like I'm a little fishy swimming around in the aquarium and he's trying to soften the blow. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't see myself that way, but I'm sure that many of my opponents uh, in the last two weeks and in the last 20 years would disagree with my assessment. So, yeah, that hand cost me about half my stack so that's never fun um still i finished that hand after it was all said and done i still had uh, a slightly above average stack to continue playing in the tournament with which is one of the advantages of building a big stack early in poker tournaments to me if you can start off get off to a running start then you can kind of afford to take the risk Uh, of making a a triple barrel bluff as I did in this hand or maybe making some kind of big hero call for half your stack later. I mean, obviously, we don't ever want to make plays that are negative EV, but it's always a luxury to build the stack early. Having built the stack early, it's a luxury to be able to uh, maybe take some chances that a shorter stacked opponent would not be able to take. Uh, yeah, so that was a shot that I took here. Uh, it did not pan out for me, obviously, but I thought it was an interesting decision. Uh, how about you? Would you have shoved that river? It just looks like a very good scare card to me. And certainly queen 10 is in my range and I block it. So with my queen of diamonds. Anyway, I'd love to get your thoughts on that hand. Tweet me at Clayton comic or, uh, start a thread in the forums about, Uh, what a donkey I am for playing a hand in the super turbo bounty event this way. (laughs) I love when your bluff, when your bluff doesn't work, you're a donkey. And when your bluff works, you are a beast. So this one comes from the $1,100 Venetian MSPT $3 million guaranteed tournament. MSPT stands for Mid Stakes Poker Tour. And I guess it's just uh, another one of these like smaller heartland poker tour types of things. Except for some reason, mid states includes Las Vegas. <laughs> anyway, um, they shattered the guarantee. They have over four million dollars in the prize pool. They had four starting days, so I played on Monday, and now I came back finally on Friday for day two. Four thousand. 000- five hundred and ninety three people entered and I think 500 came back for day two when it was down to four hundred and fifty three players I was actually surprised that the tournament director did not decide to start hand for hand at that time Uh, but he did not Uh, as a result some people were stalling and doing the things that players do on the bubble Uh, The player to my right was a talented professional um, who definitely saw an opportunity here to abuse the bubble. Now, I had one of the smallest stacks at the table uh, the result of losing two coin flips. I actually had chips before this, but then two coin flips with shorter stacks that they both won. And that had me down to 82000 in chips when the average was something like... 220,000. So I was not doing particularly well. However, the blinds were 2,500 and 5,000 with a 5,000 ante. And with this type of stack, I can pretty much fold in cash in this tournament. I don't know, 95, 96% of the time. Uh, So I had pretty much resigned myself to either picking up a big hand or just folding and making a min cash, which uh, you know, if you ever check out my Hendon Mob, you won't see very many min caches on the resume. It's not something I, I'm usually the one who's trying to abuse the bubble. But at this particular table, uh, I don't think being a bubble abuser would have been a good strategy. In fact, a couple of the uh, players, a couple of a few of my opponents, were trying it. And then they just kept fighting back at each other. So everyone was kind of trying to take advantage of the meek, but in the process, they ended up getting into a raising war with each other. So at this table, even if I would have had more chips, I think I would have stayed out of the, the bubble fracas. Uh, so anyway, my plan is to fold and cash. So, with 453 players left in the tournament and 450 in the money, with the min cash being basically a profit of about $1,000, uh, I was in fourth position. And the player on my right, who was clearly the most active bubble uh, bully at the table, opened as he had probably six of the last eight hands. And he's in third position. So, I am under the gun plus three, or as I like to call it, fourth position, and I have the Ace of Diamonds, King of Diamonds. Um, this might look like a no-brainer, guys. Like I, I'm, sh- I'm sure that many of you are thinking, well, what's the decision, Clayton? Get your chips in. Um, however, we should consider folding here. Uh, if I win the pot uncontested, I will pick up, let's see, 12,000 plus 10. I'll pick up 22,000, and my stack will go from, what was it, 82,000 up to 104,000. So at this stage in the tournament, it's pretty negligible, the difference between winning the blinds and antis and the opening bet and just folding and keeping my 82000 stack intact. Uh, it's The chips that I win here, if I take it down, are not worth more than the chips I would lose if it ends up being a coin flip and I might lose it. Especially because pretty much everyone at my table has me covered. There's one dinky stack, but everyone else at the table has me covered. So it's not as no-brainer of a shove... As it might seem like had the original razor been a little bit more um, passive, a little less uh, maniacal of late. I think you can make a stronger case for folding and cashing because he is so aggressive and I feel like he could have so many hands that actually dominate and that might even call my shove king queen king jack maybe um ace queen all the way down to probably ace deuce uh some of those hands especially the suited versions might be tempted to call um so i could get it in really good here um if he if he has something like pocket 10 then it's a virtual coin flip and that's a terrible way to lose a tournament on a coin flip when all you had to do is fold and cash. So ICM is at play, but I, I, I'm i not one to fold, <laughs> especially a hand this strong against an opponent like this in this situation. And I honestly don't care that much about the min cash. I should care more because over the course of my career, I probably could have won another, I don't know, $50,000, which is you know, no small amount for all the times that i bubbled. I've probably bubbled more than just about anybody. Um, So I get it in and it folds all the way back to my guy here on my right. And he calls quickly with pocket eights and we lose the flip and we pack up our things, say goodbye. And we hear the announcement on the way out the door that they're going to start hand for hand. So, I was surprised that they didn't do it sooner. Then I announced my fate on Twitter, and several people tweeted back at me saying, come back to Venetian, you actually won a prize. As it turns out, someone had miscalculated how many players were left. There were 452 remaining, not 453. And on the same, at the same time that I lost, two other players lost around that same time which I don't know how they determined that exactly. It was not hand-for-hand. But I was called back to the Venetian, and the prize for 450th place was $2,118, and I received $706, which is one-third of that prize. So what that tells us is that 452, 451, and 450 all busted on the same hand or around the same moment in time and because the tournament director did not handle the bubble correctly uh, someone had to be called back so I'm not mad at it I was happy to come back and collect a a 66% of my (laughs) of my original buy-in back but when you make day two of a three million dollar tournament you're not really looking to min cash or in my case even smaller than that So anyway, I found this spot interesting. Um, It was kind of fun to come back and get a prize. But overall, I just thought how many of us would just not even consider folding a hand as beautiful as Ace of Diamonds, King of Diamonds in this exact situation. So for me, it was not a no brainer, but I think against his range, my hand is just too strong to fold. Okay, over the weekend, we took a shot at the Millionaire Maker event, a $1,500 World Series of Poker tournament with two starting days. I think players allowed to re-enter once per day. Uh, It's called the Millionaire Maker because first prize is guaranteed to be at least $1 million. Um, I have cashed in the Millionaire Maker a couple of times before. I have good uh, memories of playing in this tournament, so I was excited. Um, The Millionaire Maker does not disappoint. I showed up, my table was uh, very clearly dominated by amateurs. In fact, the player on my immediate right was literally wearing a chef's hat. Older guy, like late 50s, kind of joking around a lot and really just being a character. And he had this gigantic white chef's hat. And uh, that was fun. You know, a lot of us were kind of playing around with, you know, making jokes about the hat. Uh, If I beat you, do I win the hat? That kind of stuff. Uh, A lot of fun and games at that table, and really the kind of vibe I like to have when I play. I don't care if you're really good at poker, but there's nothing wrong with also having a personality. Um, Yeah, and other players at the table kind of laughing and playing. Some of them seemed like they knew who I was, and then eventually we all started talking about comedy and, you know, just good times all around. So good vibes very early in that tournament. Um, I had run my 25,000, no, maybe it was a 30,000 starting stack up to, I had 35,000 for sure. The blinds were 100 and 100. Uh, so this was quite early. So really loose table. A lot of people seeing a lot of flops, feeling like these chips don't even matter because they're so deep, yada, yada. Uh And we get an early position raise to 300 and four, no, three callers to my right. So there's four people in this pot already, and I'm on the button with the king of hearts, tray of hearts. Now, if you wanted to tell me that this is a junk hand and that you don't play it under any circumstances, except if you're in the big blind and no one raises, I will say that's totally fine. Uh, At a table like this, where I'm not too worried about being outplayed or put into any ridiculously hard spots if I flop a pair of kings or something, uh, I feel like, especially on the button, I can go ahead and call the the small raise. So it was 100-100. He raised to 300. And I decided to call and see a flop. The big blind came along as well. And we end up with six to the flop. And it's a good flop for us. Ace of hearts, ten of hearts, six of clubs. So we have the nut flush draw. Um, everybody checks to me. And so now with, what is it? 18, 1900 in the pot. 1,900 in the pot. Uh, I can bet. I could bet big. I could bet small. I could bet medium. I could check. Uh, sometimes checking with a draw to the nuts is good because you don't have to, you don't want to get check raised, uh, on, on this flop because you're probably going to have to call, especially being so deep, um, If I'm check raised, I could also put this hand into my bet three bet range uh, because it is a very strong draw and you could sometimes get all in or get a lot of chips in anyway versus a a worse flush draw. Uh, So those are the things to consider. I decided to bet and the reasons are, well, number one, it's perfectly fine with me if nobody has an ace or nobody wants to play. And I really feel like at this table, there's a very strong chance that no one does have an ace. I think it's uncommon for inexperienced amateur players to check top pair on such a draw-heavy board. Ace of hearts, 10 of hearts, 6 of clubs is not a board that, amateur players would slow play. It's also not a board that anyone should typically slow play, but I point out that my opponents seem non-professional because I think those players are even less likely to balance their aces in this situation. They would just pretty much bet to protect because they worry about a scare card or losing the pot on the turn. Um... So, because no one has an ace, or almost surely no one has an ace, I feel like betting is a great way for me to buy some outs. If someone has a hand like king nine or king jack, uh, they might call with the gut shot, but many players don't like to do that unless they have the king of hearts, because then in addition to their gut shot, they could also pick up. Uh, the nut heart draw on the turn um, sometimes. I have the king of hearts, so I'm not concerned about them getting sticky with those hands uh, this time. So I bet 1,000, and I'm hoping to, to take it down, but if not, I can maybe maybe buy some king outs. So the plan is, if I bet and get action... Uh, I'm probably going to shut down on the turn. So, try to take a free card and see if we can hit this flush, right? So, I bet 1,000. The big blind, who is a pretty clueless-looking old guy, like, you know, anybody over 40, I have to say they're old guys, even though I'm over 40 myself. Uh, But, yeah, this guy seems like uh, definitely a weekend warrior type in town for the weekend, I would bet he has a job, uh, took a few days off, came to Vegas, wanted to play the Millionaire Maker, um, that type. He calls, and the original Razor, who I haven't really talked about yet, but was uh, you know, a competent 30-something uh, Asian player who probably wasn't a pro, but definitely knew his way around the poker table. I was very surprised to see him over call, though. I don't think he should have many aces and play them this way to check and call because when he checks, who? where does he expect the bet to come from? Um, I don't know. I could see him having a, a bigger check-raise range like when he flops a set and he wants to just be tricky uh, if he has a flush draw himself. Things like that, but it's odd the way he's playing the hand. Overcalling here is is non-standard to to say the least, and I honestly could not put him on anything. Uh, My best guess now is that he had something like pocket queens and just wanted to find out if he could hit a queen or a jack or a 10 on the turn or if the turn might check all the way around. uh, Then he might actually have the winner. But I think that's pretty ambitious when it's already gone back call in front of him. He probably should fold those hands every time. Uh, Anyway, so I bet 1,000 into 1,900 and both of those guys call. And then the beautiful four of hearts peels off on the turn and I, they check to me again and this time I bet 1,800. Now this is a pretty small bet. I mean, we've, We've built a pot of forty-eight hundred, and I'm betting eighteen hundred into forty-eight hundred. The reason why is because I'd like to get action from middle pair. As I mentioned, I don't believe anyone has an ace very much in this spot. So, with that in mind, I don't want to blow somebody off of a ten. I'd like them to to continue playing when they have a 10. Um, So this sizing might entice them to call and see if they can hit two pair or something like that. So yeah, 1800, and then the older gentleman, the weekend warrior in the big blind puts in three gold, which is 3000, which is an illegal raise. Uh, And then the original razor finally folds and the dealer tells me 3000 And now, with the nuts, I have to explain to her that his sizing is not allowed. He needs to make it 3600 without salivating at the fact that I just got check raised. Anytime you're holding the nuts and you get check raised, it's a pretty darn good feeling. Uh, so, you know, I'm trying to control my emotions, but I'm also explaining to the dealer that she can't let him make it 3000 So the ruling is... Uh, that he has to make it 3600 And now I have a decision. Like, we know that we're winning this pot um, because we have the nuts. But should we raise again? He's done a minimum check raise here on the turn. Well, a player like this really only makes this play with flushes. I don't think this particular player would have even a set in his range for checking and raising. Uh, I think that because six players saw the flop and because there were two hearts on the board then and now there are three, a player like him would not check raise a set. So that leaves bluffs and flushes with a very large bias towards flushes so because I'm not worried about uh losing him I just call and the plan is to try to get all in on the river when he makes a big bet with his flush on the end I think I sold it pretty well that I was concerned about the flush um but that I called anyway and I think that my opponent should usually put me on two pair or a set, but probably not a flush in in that situation. Um, so now we've put in 36 each into the 4,800 pot. So... Let's call it 12,000. And my opponent only has another 23,000 behind. And I think that with a flush, uh, having check raised on the turn, he's probably going to make, uh, assuming the board doesn't pair on the end, uh, or another heart could also kill my action. I didn't really think about that. Um, And the reason I didn't think about that, guys, is because we already know where... Seven of the hearts are, assuming my opponent also has one, uh, a flush, I mean. So having check raised the turn, I expect him to always bet the river, and he's going to commit himself, and then I can shove, and then he can call and see the bad news and go back to Nebraska and tell all of his friends there that he lost a millionaire maker with a flush against a better flush. Uh, Foiling my plan into the 12,000 chip pot, my opponent bets a meek 2500 So, what do we do with that? Uh, I don't think we can get all in anymore. I think he accidentally saved himself some chips. I mean, clearly we have to raise, and obviously uh, in a cash game, I would go all in. You know, it's another 25000 ish And I would absolutely do that in a cash game because uh, in a cash game, you're just trying to maximize expectation on every play you make. And I honestly believe that shoving here does maximize expectation in terms of uh, the, just the actual mathematical EV. But because in tournaments, accumulation is so important, I need to make a bet here that is going to extract uh, some amount of chips from my opponent pretty often. So, for example, if I make it 5,000, he's always calling with a flush. If I make it 7,500, he's almost always calling with a flush, and so on. Uh, I think if I shove, he will sometimes call with a flush. Uh And there's probably, the math works out that it's probably the best EV. But because it's a tournament and because you need to make sure you get paid, you want to make sure you get these calls in tournaments, sometimes sizing down a little bit while still trying to find that sweet spot. So I put the sweet spot at 11,000. So I thought that my opponent wouldn't like it, but he might look at his stack and see that he'll still have half of his 25,000 still intact. Uh, if he calls the eleven k, so that's how I arrived at that figure, and he called instantly, making me wish I had shoved, <laughs> but yeah of course, that's the result, and sure enough, he had a flush draw, a flush, so he had the seven well do he have eight seven of hearts, so yeah, bad luck for him. Notice by the way that he flopped a flush draw and a gut shot and checked and called with it. So, I mean, that's that's who's playing the Millionaire Maker guys. And of course, there were some world beaters in there as well, and I don't mean to say that uh, there are no good players in the Millionaire Maker because obviously there are. So that's going to do it for this episode. Looking forward to some more from the World Series of Poker next week. Uh, hopefully, get some other pros to sit down with me and talk poker. It has been a little bit tricky because everybody is in something right now. So we got, had to go back to just Clayton talking to himself, uh, which we haven't done in a while. So in a way it was kind of fun. You guys are the best. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast, especially on iTunes That is probably the best way for a podcast to begin climbing the ranks in the category in which it fits. And uh, we are a free podcast. We do this every week as a service to the poker community and particularly the TPE community. So if you are not yet a member of Tournament Poker Edge, I recommend you subscribe immediately. Uh, It is as little as $25 a month. For membership and with your membership you get access to more incredible just thought-provoking poker content than you could possibly consume in a lifetime and that is not an exaggeration so do that today for everyone here at tournament poker edge i'm clayton fletcher thank you all so much for listening
0: Hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Log in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart Oh, a hot pair we will be. While little gambling is fun when you're with me. I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh. whoa. Oh, well, get a hot shower.